0: go ahead and uh, get started today. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to come out to your house to study your word, to worship you. Open our minds and open our hearts as we study the end times here, Father. You give us assurance that you are on the throne and that we can know what's going to happen. And thank you for saving us and redeeming us. In Christ's name, amen. Um, Let's look at Revelation 14. What we're going to do is put together the last bits of information we have on the end of the age of mankind it's time to talk about the end of the tribulation we've talked about the trumpets the bowls actually and the uh, seals and no we're not going to talk about the whales donna keeps asking me when we're going to get to the whales and no whales Um, but we are going to be talking about the end here and if you look at revelation chapter 14 um, again, when, when you study the Book of Revelation, generally there is a chronological order to the book. It generally goes from, you know, the the, the church age, talking about the church age, the seven churches, the different churches, and then it works its way on through um, time. However, there are certain passages where it comes back sort of like a flashback. It comes back and it focuses on a larger picture. Um, Revelation chapter twelve and is one of those where it talks about the whole war between satan and god for the ages and then in 13 it focuses in on the beast and the false prophet um, revelation 14 is one of those that is sort of out of order in the grand chronology of the book because it's giving a bird's eye view of the end of the tribulation what's going to happen at the very end of the tribulation and that's what we're going to look at today chapter 14 verse one, then I looked, and behold on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their forehead. Who are these guys? We talked about them.: Yeah, the Jewish ambassadors, the Jewish um, evangelists. All right? Now some said these are martyred. Um, I'm not sure they're martyred, because where are they standing? Oh, they're, sealed, the they're sealed. They're sealed. So they're protected. But where are they standing here? Mount Where's Mount Zion? That's Jerusalem. That's Jerusalem, right? Mm-hmm. I think they made it all the way through. I yeah. think they were protected by God. They made it all the way through the tribulation untouched by the Antichrist. Can
1: you make a short sidebar point about the difference between Moses and Christian? Between...
0: Jehovah Witnesses, they're whacked,
2: they're totally
0: whacked, right, yeah, all they they need to do is read the text, the text says they're from the 12 tribes of Israel, and they even give the tribes from which they're from, so unless that Jewish, or that Jehovah Witness person can tell you what tribe they're from, they're to be dismissed. Um, that, that has nothing to do with it. That's when Charles Taz Russell thought it would be great to get at least 144,000 in his cult. And when they went over that number, they had to come up with new theology to try and explain, well, what do you do about the other people? You know. So you got the 144,000, but then you've got some others that get... It's, it's a... Look, don't even... That, that is so far out. It's a shame, though, that people are in that thing. Yeah. That's
2: my very point. Well, my point. My point is, okay, let's pretend that your people can truly prove that they're from one of the 12 tribes. But what you said, long ago there's been way more than 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses, so what are they doing about that extra number? So you just said,
0: yeah, they get, they get to inherit the earth, but they're not on the in crowd. I see. See? Um, and, you, and actually, a lot of cults wind up that way. The Mormons do that, too. The Mormons have three heavens you can get to. The telestial, terrestrial, and celestial. And you want to make it to the celestial heaven um, in their theology. That's where you get to populate your own planet. It is weird, all right? Where and did the um, They don't say. But they believe that God, Elohim was once a man just like us and he attained Godhood and that's what they want to do they want to attain Godhood it is it is weird beyond belief the fact that anybody can actually believe that stuff is beyond me you know and one of the things just as a sidebar you know sometimes we you know we sort of look ourselves man you know we really believe in some weird stuff look we're not weird they're weird we're not we're not nearly as weird (laughs) In our beliefs, as some of these things are, or some of these um, cults are, so don't don't worry about that.
2: But okay, Mount Zion. I wanted to. We were talking about that. That directly correlates with Zechariah 14, uh, where
0: the Lord is standing on Mount Zion. Right. When he cleaves in two, and that's at a point after the tribulation. When he comes shows, back. That's right. Right. It Shows right there that they make it through the tribulation. They make it all the way through. All right. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of thund- loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is those who have not defiled themselves with women for their virgins. It's those who follow the lamb wherever he goes. Those have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the lamb. And in their mouth was no life found, for they are blameless. Kind of hard to sort all of that out, isn't it? But what can we know about these guys? They were pure, right? They were pure. They they were totally devoted to God. All right. Probably not. It's just that they were they were so caught up with their their witnessing, they didn't have time for normal family issues that. And, and it's, it's not don't, don't think here that says, well, um, if they were with a woman, they would have been defiled. That's not the point that's being made here. All right, the point that's being made here is that they were totally, completely devoted to God and to his service and to the witness. And of course, if you're one of these witnesses, do you have time to raise kids? or No, you don't have time for family issues. They're totally devoted to the Lord. But what you have here is you have 144,000 of these men who make it all the way through the tribulation. They are not harmed by the beast and the false prophet. Why? Because they have the seal of God on them. They're unharmable. And they are they are the first fruits it's called, they are sort of the first fruits of the redeemed of the millennium. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead. Now we're going to have the message of three angels that are going to and, and to, to give a message, and this is a global message that they're going to be giving here. I saw another angel flying directly overhead and an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. What's the gospel he's preaching? What is the gospel this angel is preaching?
1: Good news.
0: And what is that Good news. <coughs> What good news is he preaching? It says right here what it is. Fear God and give him glory because he's coming. Time's up. You don't have another opportunity. You're running out of time. You need to fear God now. This is not the four spiritual laws that the Saints is preaching. The good news is that the kingdom of God is here. You better be ready. Last call. last call. And who gives the last call? An angel. And who hears it? Every tribe, every tongue, every language, every people hears that. Every person on the world hears this angel flying in the middle of heaven. Now that would make, you, that would make me cause or stop and pause about, hey, what's going on here? But what are men going to do? Most of them. They have no time for that. It says, the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of living water. What is God hitting? The heaven, the earth, the sea and the springs of living water. He made them. This is a call to repentance. This is a call to fear the God who made this world. And by the way, that's interesting. Um, I, I told uh, Jamie Jackson and Pastor Jim last week that probably the sermon that was preached here last week by Steve Crockett was the best of the year. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm not trying to disparage you, Jim, but that's probably the best sermon we've heard in 2010. Mm -hmm. And where did Steve start with his gospel proclamation to those people? Where did he start? Remember, what did he tell him when he first showed up?
1: The reason why he came.
0: And what was that? I have a message from
2: God.
0: No. The Creator. I have a message from the the Creator. That's the starting point of the Gospel for most people. I have a message from the Creator, I have a message from the One who made you. And as soon as I learn your language, I'm gonna give you the message that He has given me. Go back to the creation. One of the greatest damnable lies that ever been voiced on humanity is that we don't need God, God God's not the Creator, we're just an accident here. Once you remove God as the Creator, who needs God? And who needs salvation? Who needs Jesus?
1: That's exactly the point that I taught in that, you know, you hear John three sixteen, John three sixteen being the most important verse in the Bible, and it dawned on me that at least for me, Genesis 1.1 is the most important verse, but if you can't wrap your mind around Genesis one one, you're never gonna arrive at John three sixteen. Right. You gotta first acknowledge that there's a the creator who you acknowledge him in Jesus Christ. Mhm.
0: And that's the starting point. Of the good news. And then you have another angel following this angel saying fallen, fallen is Babylon the great she who made all nations drink of the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Now we don't have time in the class here because we're running out of weeks to talk about Babylon 17 and 18 but there is a lot of information out on my website that goes through Revelation 17 and 18. I would encourage you to read it. In Revelation 17, you have the destruction of Ecclesiastical Babylon. What is Ecclesiastical Babylon? It's the false systems of the world. It's the false religious system of Antichrist. It's all the, if you want to think about it, it's the embodiment of idolatry. Now, why is it called Babylon? Well, where did idolatry start? Babel. And what was the problem in the Tower of Babel? What what, what did God do to, to... Sort of put things on the back burner, so to speak. Confounded the languages. All right. And what happened? People scattered throughout the world. And if you do any study on comparative religion, you'll find that most religions of the world have common threads. They have the same deities, it's just different names. Where did that come from? Babel. Babel. And this is the interesting thing. When did the Tower of Babel occur? Well, it's interesting when you start looking at Genesis. Because we think, oh, the Tower of Babel, you know, that was a long time after the flood. Well, it was. But the interesting thing, how many years? About 100 years. But here's the thing. Most of the people in the Tower of Babel, a lot of them knew Shem and knew Ham and knew Japheth. They could go down and talk to the guys who went through the flood And what are they doing? They're making a religion that pushes God out. The God who caused the flood. Now look, don't tell me that man is basically good at heart. He's just made a couple of errors here, there, and yon. This shows the absolute, utter rejection of man um, against God. Man rejects God. I mean, when you can go down and you can talk to Shem, who knew what it was like before the flood, and he's living next door to you, and you're going to not worship that God. You're going to create a God to worship. You've got problems. And that's exactly what happened.
1: Is about the flood.
0: Yeah, it's a universal story. God's left his mark here. He's left a witness. And it says here, these people are not going to give God glory. In fact, they're going to worship this system of false belief. And what you have in Revelation 17 is the destruction of this ecclesiastical Babylon. And the idea of immorality here, sexual immorality is not sexual immorality. It's talking about idolatry. Throughout the Bible, what is idolatry seen as? A violation of our covenant with God. It's seen in terms of sexual immorality. Again and again, you see God telling Israel, you're going and playing the whore on top of the mountains where you're worshiping your false gods. This is idolatry here. And what is the angel saying? This is the destruction of the idolatrous world religious system. And again, I'm sorry we don't have time to go through all of the ins and outs of that. It's a fascinating subject. But I would encourage you to go to the website and read that. Because it covers it. Eschatology part two has all of this in there. And then in Revelation 18, you have the destruction of the um, economic Babylon. There's a religious Babylon. What's the religious Babylon? Well, that's, that's centered on the religious part. But then you've got a socioeconomic Babylon that's going to be destroyed in Revelation 18. Two separate things. Now, why are they called Babylon? Well, just as the religious system has put God out, so does the economic system put God out. And the religious system is destroyed by the Antichrist. God uses the Antichrist to destroy that, but the socio-economic system is destroyed by God. And in fact, it says in Revelation 18, "The smoke of the burning goes up, and, and the merchants of the world stand afar off and wail over the destruction of economic Babylon. That is the economic system of the world. The economy of the world is going to be destroyed by God. It's going to collapse. And God is judging the systems of mankind. And, and you look at the world today, what is, what is religion and economy, ec- economics and politics excluded? Who are they excluded? God. Can they exist? No. It won't work. We can't govern ourselves. You realize that. Humanity can't govern itself, we can't do it. We're sinful, we're selfish. Can. It's going to come to naught. And what you have here is this angel proclaiming the destruction of Babylon. And in Revelation 17 and 18, you find heaven rejoicing when Babylon is cast down. And it uses the imagery of a millstone cast into the sea. Now, if you cast a millstone into the ocean, in the Jewish mindset, can you ever get that millstone back? Gone. It's gone. You'll never get it back. You'll never find it. You'll never get it. It talks about utter and complete destruction. And heaven is rejoicing because of this. Heaven is rejoicing. And then you have the third angel in verse 9. Another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or in his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels, and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night, these worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives his mark, it receives the mark of its name. What's this? Well, if you cast your lot in with the Antichrist, what is your eternal destiny? Lake fire. Now, again, we talked about this earlier on. I'll just mention again in passing. But there are those people that want to talk about annihilationism. What's that? Well, God's too loving to actually cause somebody to suffer in hell forever. That's not God. God wouldn't do that. Now, I've said it a hundred times in this class, If I've said it once. If you want to find out what God is going to do, who do you ask? God. And where are you going to find that? And what does God say he's going to do? What's this verse say God's going to do? the smoke of their torment ascends up for how long? All right, now, if they're annihilated out of existence, the torment's over, it's not forever, right? And it says they have no rest day or night. Well, if they're annihilated, that's over. This is, this is an eternal punishment here. And essentially, I was listening to a debate by Clark Pinnock, and if you ever get anything by Clark Pinnock, just burn it, okay? Don't even read it, just use it to start a fire. Um, But basically, he was arguing with Erwin Lutzer on Moody Radio on this. They were having a little debate, and and Erwin Lutzer brought this passage up, and Clark Pinnock said, well, you know, this is the most problematic passage for our position. Well, yeah, because what does it clearly state? You're not a PhD, and you can figure it out, right? Mm -hmm. The smoke of their torment ascends up forever. There's no out
2: Hell was made
0: for Satan and his angels, Isaiah chapter 5. We, not we thank the Lord, but people who reject God automatically by default send themselves to a place that wasn't made for them, but they have by
2: default rejected where God Mm -hmm. wants them to go, so they send themselves to hell. This applies to what they
0: did to themselves, not what God did to them. Right. That's exactly right. We don't like, you know, there are people that don't like that. They don't like that concept. And the answer to that is, look, what has God said? You go with that. You don't go with your own sense of morality. That's one of the big problems. People have, well, I don't like that about God, so I'm going to create a God that doesn't do that. Fine, you can do that. But is that the God of the Bible? No, you got the wrong God. That's idolatry. Look, if you want to know what God's going to do, you go with what God says he's going to do. And here it's very clear, how long are they going to be there? Forever. They're not going to get out. The smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever and no rest. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? If you have not received the mark of the beast, hang in there it's worth it even though you might die you're not going to be going to this place of eternal torment hang in there endure to the end and I heard a voice from heaven saying write this blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on blessed indeed says the spirit that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. blessed are those who die in the Lord um, and again, we talk about this. If you say, well, I'm just going to wait and see if all these events happen and then I'll believe, you've got to have a rough life ahead. I'd rather believe now and not go, to this, go through this time. And then what do you see in verse 14? Then I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like the son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. And so he sat on a cloud, swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. This is the image. This is an agricultural image. In those days, most people were farmers. Most people lived by farming. And what was the sickle a sign of? It was a sign of the harvest. You would come and harvest the earth. And what is the harvest? That's at the end, Right? So here's this angel that comes and reaps the earth and another angel came out of the temple in heaven and he too had a sharp sickle and another angel came out from the altar. The angel had a, who has authority over the fire and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth, gathered the grape harvest of the earth, threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God and the wine press was trodden outside the city. Then blood flowed from the wine press as high as a horse's bridle for sixteen hundred stadia, or about 184 miles. What is this? Pretty gross, isn't it? Pretty gross image. It's like God gathering all the people in the earth and putting them in this great press and squeezing all the blood out of them until it just runs out all over the place. Pretty gross. Well, what is this an image of? What do you think this is an image of? Armageddon, Battle of Armageddon. That's going to be carnage, right? What does God do? God calls all the birds of the air to come together and do what? Eat. Because of the, because of the rebellion of man, come together and eat. You're going to eat the flesh of captains and of mighty men and of, of the horses and all of that. And it's 184 miles and it goes up, leaving some places to the horse's bridle, about six feet high. Now, that doesn't mean that for 184 miles it's six feet deep. Because if you do the mathematical calculation, take every human being on the planet, take all of their blood, that's not enough to fill that. So, what is it saying? What's it going to look like in some places? It's going to be like that. It's going to be up to six feet deep. The blood, the mud, the gore, the ick, the whatever. It's pretty gross. Are you be in the Valley, of Jezreel? Valley of Jezreel. Har Megiddo, it's called. It's going to gather them together. Armageddon. Earlier on, we saw about the the three unclean the three unclean frogs gathering all men together to the battle. God's going to draw everybody there together, and they're going to come to try and destroy Israel. And what is God going to do? He's going to show up and ruin the party, basically. And how does He do it? He just speaks the word, and what happens? They die. It's not even a match. No, it's not even a battle. We come with him, but we don't fight. That's the interesting thing. We, we're we're going to come back with the Lord, but we don't fight. There's nothing for us to do. He does all the fighting for us, He takes care of it. And what you have here is you see God's wrath being poured out. God has had enough. Time is up. And you know, just as an aside, we've talked about this earlier on, God is a God of grace and God gives men time to repent, but someday the door is shut.
2: He's enough.
0: Someday the t- your time is up. You don't have a forever time to believe, you don't have a forever time to repent. Yeah. See, our, our, our thing is we, have a, we think God needs to do things on our timing, right? You ever, you ever notice that? We pray and we have a night. we, we forgot. I'm going to pray for God to do X, Y, Z, and this is how he's going to answer my prayer. Now, how many people have had God actually answer it the way they thought he was going to answer it? Yeah, he just doesn't do it that way, right? Because if he did it that way, we'd think somehow we had something to do with that, right? And God says, no, I'm not going to answer the prayers your way. I'm going to answer them my way. I have a time. And it's the same thing that you see in Second in Peter chapter 3, right? In the last days, there are going to be scoffers come saying, "What? where's the sign of his coming? I mean, we don't see it. Since the fathers fell asleep, everything's continued just as it was. And what's going to happen? Then sudden destruction will come upon them.
1: That's how
0: it was oh, in mean, the days of Noah. That's right. Think about it. 120 years. And then one day it started raining. It's like, what is this? It's too late. Your time is up. It's too late. And we talked about the bulls and the, the bull judgments, the seven coming up. So let's go down to Revelation 19. And again, I'm skipping 17 and 18 only because of time. And again, 19 is right at the very end of the tribulation, right at the very tail end. And what do we have going on here? And after this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are just and true. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of the saints. And once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke of her goes up forever and ever. What is these two things a reference to? Well, we just you read in Revelation 17 and 18? 17, you have the destruction of the religious system. That's the first part of that. Then the second part, the smoke goes up. What is that a reference to? The socioeconomic system. What has God done? God has judged both of the systems, the institutions of mankind. God has judged both of them. And what's heaven doing? They're rejoicing. They're happy. About time God does something. One of the things that... um, One of the tensions that you have is you... Study the word of God. And as you, your relationship with God grows, is after a while you get tired of God's name being maligned. And there's a part of you that says, I want, you know, God, when are you going to stop this? I'm so tired of your name being dragged in the mud. When are you going to do something? And there's a part of you that just longs for the day when God... Judges, and when God vindicates his name. But then there's that other part that there's a lot of people you know that aren't ready for that day, right? Um, Yesterday I watched a couple of videos on on, on Mormonism. They're online, by the way. You can actually go read that. Um, I forget the website name, but you can see them online. You can actually watch them online. Excellent videos. As I got done with that, I was just overwhelmed with the sheer demonic origins of that system. It is demonic to the core. And there was a part of me that says, God, when are you going to come and just wipe that whole thing out? When are you going to turn Salt Lake into a crater and just get rid of that stuff? But then I thought of some people I know that's in that system that's stuck in that thing. So I hope he waits long enough for they can get out. But there's a part of you that just longs for the day when God's name is vindicated, when God finally displays who he is. And what you see heaven doing here, and of course we're all in our perfected state there, so this is not a sinful rejoicing. This is not a a gleeful um, response to somebody's calamity. This is... Us realizing God is holy and finally he is vindicating his name. He's finally showing people who he is. And we rejoice in that. There, there's, there's great joy in our hearts that finally God is going to do something about this. Don't you think
2: he's shown who he is all along?
0: It's just now they're realizing He, he has, but now God has judged the systems. you got to understand, this, this religious system... Look, look at the false religious system. How many people is it damned to hell? And I'm talking about false religion in general. Isn't there a party that just wants to see God just wipe it out? Wipe out false religion so that people know who he really is? He does, and the heaven rejoices. And then there's the economic and political systems of the world that excluded God. And what does God do to them? He destroys them, and there's great rejoicing in heaven over that. This is great joy. And when does this happen? Well, this is right at the end. This is right right before Christ comes back. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his saints, you who fear him, small and great. Give God glory. Praise God for finally doing something, finally vindicating his holy name. Finally, justice is going to reign. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the mighty, sound of mighty peals of thunder. Now this, this is the same kind of voice that he described back in 14, right? What is this? The sound of millions of voices. And what are they crying out? Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready and it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. What is this? This is the rejoicing of heaven. The time for Christ's return has come. What has, everybody, what has every believer been looking forward to? The return of Christ. Now it's here. He's coming. And heaven is rejoicing. And it says his bride was given fine linen, white and clean to wear. Now, who is the bride of Christ? The church. We are the bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about us being the bride of Christ. Well, what about the Old Testament saints? Well, they're the friends of the bridegroom, they're not the bride, they're the friends. For fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. What do you mean righteous deeds? Do you do any righteous deeds? Well, the power of God we can, can't we? Can we? And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who's the invited guest to the marriage supper? And again, we go back to our discussion earlier on on the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't think it's a dinner in heaven as much as it is the millennium. Who gets invited to to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who are the invited guests? Well, go back to Matthew, Mark, and Luke and look at the parables. Who are the invited guests? Who's invited to the marriage? The Jews. They're the invited guests. And in the parables of Christ, what did many of them do? Well, you know, i got to go do this, i got to go do that, I have something else to do. Christ saying, Blessed are those who are invited. To the marriage of the Lamb, and he said, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said, You must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Don't worship me. This is an angel. John is with an angel, and the angel said, Do not worship me. Why? Worship God. Now, for people who say, Well, Jesus was not God, what did Jesus accept from people? Worship, which tells you what? He's God. An angel doesn't accept worship. When they tried to worship Paul and, and um, Silas, I think it was. No, yeah, which one was it? Paul and um, Barnabas. Barnabas. Paul was horrified that they would worship him. Who do you worship? You worship God. And what do you see here? You see heaven prepared for the coming of Christ to rule and reign. Finally, he is coming back. Finally, he is going to rule. Finally, he is going to take his rightful place. And heaven rejoices. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one who's sitting on it. It's called Faithful and True and righteousness. He judges and makes war. What's the white horse a sign of always? Purity and conquering. That's, the sign, that's a white horse. It's a sign of purity and a sign of a conquering king. And who's sitting on it? One called faithful and true. Who would that be? Jesus. God is a spirit, right? Can't ride a white horse. He's a spirit. He's everywhere. But what does Jesus have now that he did not have before? A body. A glorified body. Don't know how that all works. When I get to heaven, I'll see Jesus. I'll see the nail prints, right? I'll see the scars. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. His eyes like a flame of fire. What's that? They're piercing They're intent. You can see in his eyes, he's, he's, he's come for business. He's not come now to give his life a ransom for many. This is, that, that, that time has come. This is time for business. And on his head are many diadems. What's that? He is the king of kings there is no king higher than him and he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God that look if you miss who this is I don't know I don't have any help for you this is Christ the word of God right and his robe is dipped in blood and what sense is his robe dipped in blood what's that an image of his sacrifice but it could also mean the destruction of his enemies right And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following with him on white horses. Who are they? Who's the armies of heaven? Us. The angelic hosts and us. We come back with him. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. Go back to Psalm 2. It talks about the Messiah who's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Iron, he's going to break them in pieces like a potter dashes a pot with a rod of iron. This is, this is someone who is an absolute monarch. There's no there's no democracy in the millennium. Christ rules. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Where did we see winepress pop up earlier? 14. The winepress of the wrath of... God. See, it's all connecting here. We're not making this up. It all connects. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Who is this? This is Christ coming back. He's not coming back now as the baby in a manger. He's coming back as the conquering king. Yes.
2: Okay, this is Christ on the horse, glorified body. Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, glorified body, transcends to heaven. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here James, John, see it, maybe Moses, Elijah, depending. Okay. I therefore also thought that what happened with Jesus' new body was a demonstration of what our new bodies are gonna be able to do likewise. Enter rooms without opening doors, etc., and all that stuff. Okay, you just said that Jesus gets His glorified body, thus He's able to ride on the horse because Jesus is—I mean, God is spiritual. Right. Of course, we know that. Um, I thought all along, just as to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, you and me, us, is the same thing. That Jesus' situation from the Mount of Transfiguration onward throughout eternity. So, what you just said made me think that somehow after going up to heaven, he didn't have his body anymore and won't get it again until he's back.
0: No, no, he has his body now. Remember, there's some in heaven with their bodies now. That's, That's the right. first fruits, Christ in the first fruits. That's right. But we are going to get our glorified bodies when? When he comes back again. Of course, right. All right? So, but this is at the they, end they when just we... Yeah. No, 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 okay. no, no. He has one now. Right. He has one now. Um, that was the mystery of the incarnation. God incarnate, God in spirit became flesh. That's the mystery of the incarnation. All right? And when we look in heaven, who do we see in a physical form we see christ in a physical form do you see god in a physical form no god is a blinding light sitting on the throne he's not in physical form but this is after the rapture so we're all there too right with our glorified bodies we're there as well verse 17 and i saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead Come gathered for the great supper of God. Here's the second of the suppers, the marriage, supper of the Lamb, and now the supper of the great God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him was sitting on the horse and against his army. You know what? If I was in that army, I'm just sitting, what am I doing here? you got something coming back on a white horse and I'm supposed to beat him with my AK-47. I'm out of here. But what does it show? The rebellious heart of mankind. We're going to do the best we can. We're going to fight God. Irrational.
1: That's an amazing passage which again shows that man can do nothing on his own to recognize who God or Jesus Christ is unless it reveals him first. Here you are... Uh, Jesus Christ are you
0: thinking, let's get just get it on. What, are you yeah. what are you thinking? What are you thinking? It's the deception. It, it, it's if you you got to understand Satan is pretty good at this deception business. If he can get if he can talk to these guys and saying, "Yeah, you can you can beat this rider on a white horse coming back from the clouds of heaven." Boy, that's, that's, that's quite a deception, isn't it? In
2: fact, it's the very essence of pride going before destruction of the holy spirit.
0: Yeah. But men are so, so steeled in their rebellion against God that they'll, they will not turn. Are we
1: also in their condition from the uh, judgment before the boil and the that's coming out and they're still going to fight against them? yeah. No,
0: not that I know of, but I don't know how you generate. I mean, I think this is something sort of beyond what Hollywood could probably pull off. I mean, this is, this is look, this is carnage beyond our comprehension. You've got the armies of the world gathered. What are the armies of the world? You've got all of them, really every nation is going to be there to fight against God. They're going to gather, be gathered together there to fight. And Antichrist is going to be there with them. And the false prophet is there, and Satan is there energizing them. And you have the three unclean spirits that are energizing men in their hatred and rebellion against God. And they're going to rebel. This
2: is
0: the 200 million. It's probably more than that. We don't know how many.
1: and you still don't believe him, you to fight against him. Yeah. So you, you see him, you've had your opinion, but you cannot
0: come to the Lord as he draws you first. Yeah. And there comes a point when you cross that line of no return. When did we read about that? Well, if you have the mark of the image of his beast, what happens? You've crossed the point of no return. There's no going back from that one. God gives you time to repent, but God is... God's, the opportunity for repentance is not always there. There comes a day when somebody hears it for the last time. You're left to yourself. You're not demon-possessed, you're just left to yourself, and in your natural state, what will every single human being do? Reject God..
1: why he did always in the past and to beat Philistines, but the next passage,
0: is a very, very chilling passage, says, but he did not know that the Lord had part him. He didn't know that. Yeah. We're, mankind, you've got to understand that mankind is more wicked, more rebellious, more evil than we like to think. We, we really want to think the best of people, but look, the Bible says left to your natural state. What are you going to do? You're going to rebel against God. A hundred years after the flood, when you could have gone down the street, talked to Shem, what are you doing? You're going to go down and create a God that doesn't exist to worship. You're going to do the same thing that your forefathers did.
2: Especially the God that you have to carry.
0: Yeah, and then, and then when you go to the book of Judges and you have the end of Judges there where you have them the whole thing with the Benjamites and the whole thing with the... The Micah, the the priest who created create a false system of belief up in Dan. That's two generations after they got out of the Promised Land. You understand that? Two generations later, what's Israel doing? They're off into idolatry. How long does it take to go to pot? Two generations, you're done for. If you're not passing the truth on to your kids, it's all over.
1: It's To see it. You
0: see it, but somewhere along the line
1: someone the ball.: Someone dropped the ball.:
0: It doesn't take long to lose.
2: It didn't even
0: wait two yeah. Up to Sinai was gone. Yeah, while they're gone, they're down yeah. there making a golden can. Yeah. <laughs> what do you have in verse 19? They're gathered together to make war, and what happens? And the beast was captured. And with it the false prophet who, was, who, was, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his, its image. The beast and the false prophet are captured. What, and again, what, what, what was the false prophet? What was he doing? He was causing the world to worship the beast. And how is he doing that? Signs and wonders. Folks... When you're after signs and wonders, you've got to be careful because what can happen to you very quickly? Now listen, if the world is wondering after the beast because of the signs and wonders that was done, what kind of signs and wonders do you think were done? Big or little? Big. Whatever it was, it was spectacular enough and big enough to cause the entire world to be deceived. They're deceived. They're deceived into following the beast, and following the false prophet, and following Satan, who is energizing the beast. But what happens at the battle of Armageddon? While the beast and the false prophet are killed, they're captured, and where are they cast? What's it say here? Lake of fire. Lake of fire. What is the lake of fire? The lake of fire is the eternal state. The lake of fire is the place from which there is no escape. The lake of fire is the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Who gets thrown into there first? The beast and the false prophet. They get thrown into there first. Now, some have tried to say, well, they're thrown in there, they suffer for a while, then they're annihilated out of existence. No, they're not. Because in chapter 20, when Satan is thrown into the there, A thousand years later, the beast and the false prophet are still there. They're still in this place. They haven't gotten out. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. What's this? Well, what did God do to the rest of them? Killed them. Kill all the rest of them. Now where did they go? Did they go to the lake of fire? No, they went to the place called Hades, right? It's a temporary place. It's a place of confinement where they're going to wait for the final judgment. Then the final judgment, they're going to stand before the great white throne and be judged. So what do you see going on here? You see Christ coming back and what happens to everyone, every, all the people in the armies at the battle of Armageddon, they are destroyed. They're wiped out. They're killed by the sword that comes out of his mouth. And the carnage is so great that the birds are gorged with the flesh. The blood flows in some places up to six feet deep. This is gross. But this is what happens at the Battle of Armageddon. Now if you go back to Matthew 24, and we don't have time to go through all of this, Matthew 24 and 25, when Christ comes back, And his feet touched the Mount of Olives and it split in two. What's he going to gather together before him? All the nations are going to be gathered before him. And what's he going to do when he gathers all the nations? That's all the peoples. What's going to happen when he gathers them all? Matthew 24, 25. He's going to separate them, right? (coughs) Sorry, the sheep from the goats. What's going to happen to the sheep? Where do they get to go? No, they're not going to be raptured. Rapture's over. They're alive. They're still living. What happens to them? What do they they get to do? No, they don't rule with them. They enter the kingdom. Who populates the millennial kingdom? The believers who are alive. Now, we've got 144,000 we know of, right? There's going to be a lot of others that believe. And on what basis do they get to inherit that? Well, when I was in prison, you came and visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me water. And they said, when did we do this? And he said, when you did it to Lisa, my, these my brethren, you did it unto me. Now, look, that is not a salvation by works, but if during that time you assist a Jew, what does that tell you about you?
2: The Lord.
0: You are not part of the kingdom of the Antichrist. You've not received his mark. And what does God do? God says, this is because you were believing and the way and the way that belief, the way your faith in me was evidenced is you did these things to these of my brethren. God says, You get to enter the kingdom. You get to enter the millennium. You get to be the ones that populate the new heaven, or not the new heaven, but the earth, the millennial kingdom. Now what happens to the goats? Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire.
2: I never knew him.
0: Never knew him. So at the, beginning of the tribu- at the beginning of the millennium, there's going to be a time, we see this in Daniel 12, there's a time when God establishes the kingdom, but when the kingdom starts and says, blessed is the one who reaches the, what is it, the 1335th day or something like that, blessed is the one who gets to that point, what does that mean? You're in the kingdom now. You're in the kingdom. The time of judgment is over. The time of Christ's return is done. You're now in the kingdom. And what is the kingdom going to be like? It's a time of great blessing. We're going to talk about that a little bit next week, the millennium. It's going to be a time of peace. Christ is going to rule. We're going to rule with him. That's part of our reward is we're going to rule with Christ. But Christ is going to be here physically ruling from his throne on Jerusalem. And there's going to be a time of peace and prosperity and and abundance that the world has never known for a thousand years. But unfortunately, what's going to happen at the end of the thousand years? Satan is going to get out of the bottomless pit, and what's he going to do? Deceive. Deceive the nations. To rebel against God. It
1: was a classic. and not lose because the results are already in. And so you can't lose. And it's amazing, listen to you speak, now. that years from now there's other teachers like you teaching this here, and like Sting, you have the layout right here of what's happening. You see things happening all around you, but yet you're gonna have, most people are say, you think about that. Whether you're in the classroom, or the someone yeah. like using on a street court reading from Revelation, they're gonna have the results, like when we've they're gonna have the results. You shouldn't you shouldn't lose, but the results
2: are here. But they place the wrong deck.
0: Yeah. got to understand when God wins, God does not just squeak by a victory. He doesn't win by getting a home run in the bottom of the ninth with two outs, nobody on base he blows away the competition. It's not even a match. God wins. Well, next week we'll pick up with um, Millennium. Before we do that, however, I've got a couple of things to pass out. I've got to find it here. Um, some of the students have been taking this, again, for a certificate from Moody, and I have your certificates here. Nancy Barras. All right. This is a certificate for the bible doctrine series this is because she has taken ten units and she's got a certificate for bible doctrine so if she if you have a question on theology she's the one to ask on that i also have one here for sylvester jeffrey senior bible doctrine series all right Here you go sylvester and i got one for joy who's not here she actually has two certificates she has the Bible Doctrine series and she also has the walk in wisdom certificate for doing um the old and new testament surveys. So she's even she's even smarter. I I like to give it to her when I find her, so but yeah, congratulations for doing that. For you made it through ten classes with me. That's that's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. You should get a certificate for that, just uh you know. Sort of like I survived Alan Schaefer's class t-shirts, you know. Um, So anyways, congratulations for you guys. So let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this day you've granted to us. And I pray that you help us to ponder these things. And thank you that you win. Father, we know the score. We know how it's going to wind up. We know who comes out on top. We don't need to be afraid of what's going on in the world. We don't need to fear. We don't need to be concerned about it because you said you've taken care of it. And so we, uh, we take our comfort in that, Father. And help us to live in light of eternity, knowing that someday you're going to rule in righteousness, and we're going to be there with you. And I pray that you give us a concern for our family and friends and neighbors who don't know you, that we would want them to be there with us, rejoicing in your presence, enjoying your fellowship for all of eternity. Thank you again for this day in Christ's name. Amen.
2: Thank you.